Uh, so tonight is going to be the last night that we go through kind of the thread. I'm not calling it the thread, though. Called it I Never Knew You. Uh, because this is really a standalone. So even if you have not been with us through the study of the thread, this one will make sense to you. This one will uh, stand all by itself. And so this is one uh, that I hope to be able to reference uh, for years to come, not, e not just in this format, uh, but in several to come. Okay, so as we've been kind of talking through the thread and we've been going into that, we've talked about how all of the Scripture is pointing us to who? Jesus. It points to Jesus. Every single story in the Bible points to Jesus. And when you look at the way it's, uh, the way it's designed, it is beautiful to see. And we have to get out of our Western mindsets. When we think of Western mindsets, we think of you've got a beginning, a middle, and an end, and everything kind of goes in a line. That's not how the Eastern, which is in the East is where uh, Christ would have come from, where that literature would have come from. The Eastern writing is very different. This is the way they do it. They have a central theme, and then they have all these stories around the center. And all these stories point in to the central theme. So that if you've got the story of Abraham... He points to Jesus. If you've got the story of Daniel, he points to Jesus. If you've got the story of David and Goliath, it points to Jesus. All of these stories point to Jesus. And so we had the opportunity to look at several times in the Bible where these stories that just seem to be have nothing to do with Christ, how they point us directly to him. And so this story, or not this story, but this uh, passage of scripture we're going to be looking in tonight, it is kind of a, okay, so we've been talking a lot that the Bible points to Jesus. Who is this Jesus? What is this Jesus? How does this Jesus, uh, how, do, how do we see him and all these other things? And the reason why, the reason why all the Bible points to Jesus is because, let, let me go ahead and put the cards on the table for you. Let me go ahead and spoil the ending for you. There is no other, there is nothing else, no other way that we can be saved. Zero, zip, zilch, nada, nine. There is no other place that we can look to to have salvation. You've got Islam that says we can look at the prophet Muhammad. You've got Mormonism which sits there and says that if we're good Mormons, we can be our own little God and have our own little planets. You've got all these different things that say there's something else out there. But the truth is the Bible takes the entire uh, uh, story or all the stories that it has to point to one central thing because there is only one way that we can be saved and it's through Jesus. So we are going to look at this one and only way tonight. One and only way. And, and so I'm going to read to you uh, kind of a lengthy passage of Scripture. If you will, open up your Bibles to Matthew 7. Or if you don't have a Bible, you can even read along on your study guide. That long bit that's right there at the top. That is all that we're going to read. We're going to be reading Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 27. But I want you to follow along with me. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. By the way, this is Jesus talking. All of these words are Jesus talking. It says this, 
Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Let me pray for us and we're going to explain what's going on. Most gracious Heavenly Father, tonight is a hard lesson. Tonight is a very difficult lesson. It's a difficult lesson for me to proclaim because the truths in it are so very weighty. It's a very difficult lesson to hear because your words seem to cut us to the heart. And so God, I ask that you would give me grace tonight to correctly explain what is being said here by your son Jesus. I pray that your spirit would move and would work so that, Father, students in this room and anyone listening on the live stream would hear your truth and they would be convicted. I ask that you would save people even tonight through your word and in this time. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, we do ask these things and for his sake. Amen. So I have made the statement that I am going to be, in my prayer I said I'm going to be teaching you through a very, very difficult passage. And this is a very difficult passage. Here's the reason why it's difficult. Let me kind of explain some things to you. Uh, just recently, a ministry known as Ligonier Ministry put out a, a, question, a questionnaire. And they put it out every other year. It came out in 2018. It came out again uh, just a few months ago. It's called the State of Theology. Now, theology, do you guys know what theology is? What is theology? Yeah, it's the study of God. And specifically when we talk about theology, we're talking about the study of God and we're talking about how we interact with God, what this God means for us, and how we live because of this God. And Ligonier put out 
this question and answer called the state of theology. And, and so I'm just going to read to you a few of the statistics that have come back. They've recently just come back to us. We have these statistics. Now, all I'm going to read to you is just the statistics that came back from those who took this quiz or those who answered these questions that are between the ages of 18 to 34. Between the ages of 18 to 34. So just older than the students that are in here going up to the people who are kind of the, the, the influencers of our country right now. First one I want to bring up to you, they ask a question, does God accept all religions? Does God accept all religions? 61% of 18 to 34-year-olds agree, yes, God accepts and receives all religions. The next one I want to read to you is this one. Jesus is the greatest created being of all time. Jesus is the greatest created being of all time. 57% agree with that. The next one says, Jesus is a great teacher, but he is not God. 53% agree with that. The next one says, the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. 59% agree with that. Another one says, do small sins, even the small sins, deserve hell forever? 61% disagree with that. This one says the Bible is helpful, but not true. 50% agree with that. And you might sit there and say, well, then that means half of the people think that the Bible is true. But... 50% said the Bible is not true, and then 15% said they were unsure if the Bible was true or not. 65% of 18 to 34-year-olds don't lean on the Bible as truth. And this last one I want to read, There's, there were 35 questions, and I've only read a handful, but this one says, everyone sins, but everyone is mostly good. And 64% agree with that. All right, so I'm going to tell you all where I land on these things. I am in disagreement with the majority in all of these. I do not believe God receives all religions as equal to Christianity. I do not believe Jesus is the greatest created being because I don't believe Jesus was created. The reason why I believe Jesus was not created is because He is a great teacher, but He is God. The Holy Spirit is absolutely a personal being. He's not just the force from Star Wars. Small sins are what we think of as small sins. They deserve punishment. And they deserve punishment forever in hell. Let me kind of break this down for you. If I do something against Logan, 
Logan is a person who has a time and a place that he exists in. If I do something wrong against him, then the punishment needs to have a time and a place that that is enacted in. It needs to have a time frame that it's enacted in. God is not bound by time and God is not constrained by places. Therefore, when we sin, even a small one against God, our punishment has no time limit and our punishment has no place that we understand right now. The Bible is most certainly true. It is helpful and it is truth. It's not just true, it is truth. And everyone sins. And what that means is that we are wicked and we need a Savior. We're wicked to the core. The Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things. That's Jeremiah who can understand it. Romans tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We understand that every single one of our sins, Psalm 51, is against God and God alone. These 18 to 34-year-olds, our society as a whole, we have no idea about the God we claim to talk about. No idea. And it's maybe never more clearly seen than in these passages. Let me kind of tell you where Jesus, why he started saying the things he was saying, and then we're going to jump into it, okay? So this is at the end of what's known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's his big finale. The Sermon on the Mount um, is three chapters of Jesus' teaching and explaining what the kingdom of God is like. You've got, he starts off in Matthew chapter 5, all the way through chapter 6, and then his big finale is in chapter 7. Three chapters of Jesus talking. If anybody in here has a red letter edition of the Bible, it's really cool to come to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 because every single word is written in red. Red letter editions always take Jesus' words and put them in red ink. And he ends his Sermon on the Mount with three comparisons, three illustrations, three comparisons. You've got a narrow gate and a broad gate. What's the difference between something being narrow and something being broad? Narrow is very thin. Broad is very wide. You've got a narrow gate versus a broad gate. You've got a good tree versus a bad tree. And you've got a firm foundation put up against a faulty foundation. And guys, I think that in all of the Bible, in all the things Jesus says, I think these words here, these ones that I just read to you, are the most terrifying words in all of Scripture. The most terrifying. Proverbs puts it like this. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 12 says... There are those who clean their own eyes but are not washed of their filth. What they mean by that is that there are people who they wash their eyes but they don't wash their filth and so when they look at themselves they think they're clean. When in fact they are dirty before the Lord. Romans chapter 10 
verses 1 through 3, puts it like this. It says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What am I saying? What am I getting at? We're going to focus on those comparisons. And I think that you guys will hopefully understand it. And we're just going to go through these boom, 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 boom. I'm going to hit them for you because I don't want you waiting for the next thing to write down. So the first one is you must enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. The second one is going to be a healthy tree bears good fruit. A healthy tree bears good fruit. The third one is going to be faith in Jesus is more than words. Faith in Jesus is more than words. And the last one is a wise person believes the words of Jesus. A wise person believes the words of Jesus. So now you know where we're going. Now you know where we're going. For the rest of the time, we're just going to be in the Scripture. Okay? Now, here's the reason why we're going to end our series on the thread this way. Because we have seen through several weeks that the whole Bible is pointing to Jesus. And we've got a head knowledge... We've got a head knowledge of those kinds of things. But it scares me to no end, and I believe what this passage teaches, is that there are a great number of people who know Jesus up here, who believe in Jesus up here, and when they die, they will spend all of eternity in hell. that there are people in this church who maybe have grown up hearing about Jesus all their life and they've got it right here and they believe it right here. But they will spend an eternity in hell. What is hell? Do you all know what hell is? I explain it this way. That hell is a prison that God has designed. Why are people sent to prison in today's time on earth? Why are people sent to prison? They break laws. God has given us a set of laws. And when you go through and when you start looking at just the Ten Commandments, just ten of His laws, we recognize that we've broken every last one of them. We are lawbreakers to God's law. And God has designed a prison. And we are all guilty. And just thinking about Jesus up here, 
just thinking about it, you will not be saved. Let's jump into it because that's some weighty stuff to throw out there. Enter through the narrow gate. Verses 13 and 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Okay, so let's, let's break down what's going on here, okay? You guys know what the difference between narrow and broad is. If you, have you ever heard anyone be accused of being very narrow-minded? What does that mean to say that someone is narrow-minded? Is it a compliment or is it a criticism? It's a criticism every single time. Why? What does it mean to be narrow-minded? Say, say, I heard a couple of people saying things at the same time. Say, do not see the full picture. What were you saying? Do not be able to think. Do not be able to think outside of what you know. Do not be able to think outside the box. All right. So when we think about being narrow. Typically, we look at that and we say, that's a bad thing to be narrow-minded. That's a bad thing. Why would Jesus look here and say that the narrow gate is the one we look for? Narrow-mindedness, narrow thinking is wrong. And we sit there and we think in our mindsets today, for Jesus to throw this out there, it's really harsh. Someone who's narrow-minded is often thought of as being very harsh. And we look at this and we say, that's harsh. That's narrow Enter by the narrow gate. The way that's wide and easy leads to destruction, but the way that's narrow and hard, that's the way to life. That's hard. That's difficult. What's going on here? Well, let me, let me paint this picture. We, we actually live in a narrow society all the time. And we don't think it's harsh or rude or mean-spirited in all other areas of life. Let me give it to you this way. Uh, when I was set to fly um, to Disney World back in January, we took Elijah to uh, Disney World, and uh, we were going to fly out there, and our plane was set to leave at 5.30 in the morning. 5.30 in the morning. All right? Now, I'm fine with that. I get up early. It's not any trouble for me at all to be up and to be out and to be at the plane to make that flight. My family, however, is not okay with that. That's hard. That's difficult. So for me to get them up was difficult, and many tears were shed on that day. It's okay. We were going to Disney World. Got them up. We got to the plane. We got... On the plane, we took the flight, we made it to Disney World. But guys, there was not an option for us to call up the airline and say, hey, listen, that's really a narrow time frame. And we are actually going to be happier if we get there at 8.30 instead of 5.30. If I had called the airline up, if I had said that, if I said you're being too narrow in your thinking, what would their response have been? Too bad, I guess you won't see Mickey Mouse today. All right? Another way of thinking about it is this. Your class starts at a certain time, right? It starts, and there's always this bell that rings to chime the beginning and the end of it. Let's say you've got English class as your first block, okay, and you have to be there at 
I don't know, did y'all start at 8, 8 in the morning? Is that what time you're supposed to be there? Yeah, it's different now with all the virtual schools and everything like that. But let's say your first class starts at 8 o'clock, okay? If you get there at 8.15 and you say, this is the time I want to start by, are you going to just be allowed to walk in, prance in like that? No. Why? Because there is a start time that they begin at and you are expected to conform to that. That's really narrow. That's really hard. But we look at those things and we say, okay, I can conform to those. But when Jesus says that narrow is the gate and hard is the path that leads to life, we look at that and say, I can't go there. I want to believe that Jesus is hes going to be okay with how I come to Him. He's going to be okay with the way I want to pursue Him. He's going to be okay with the things that I think about Him. And we come to Jesus expecting to be able to take this broad path. And Jesus tells us flat out, no, if you're going to come to me, you're going to come to me on my terms, not on yours. And guys, this is a big deal because a lot of people want to believe that they can come to Jesus by going to church on Sunday or Wednesday and that's it. Or a lot of people want to say that they can come to Jesus by just saying a prayer and having it being done like that. Or some people say they want to come to Jesus by being a, a, a Muslim, actually. They'll sit there and say they believe in the real Jesus. They do. And they said, they say, I want to come to Jesus on my terms. Guys, it's a narrow gate. It is a hard path that leads to life. So he sets the stage for what we're going to be looking at. And then he says this. And he, we've got a healthy tree bears good fruit. Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Understand what Jesus is saying here is that, look, if you're going to come to me, you have to come according to my terms. But there are going to be people who tell you all along, they're going to be telling you all throughout your life that you can come to Jesus a different way. You can come to Jesus, and it doesn't have to be the way the Bible lays it out for you. You can come to Jesus, and you can have a God that you decide. You can have a God who accepts every other religion. You can have a God who's a good teacher, but He didn't really send His Son to be God. You can have a God who looks at your small sins and says, that's okay, and just winks at Him. Or, you can have a God that's okay if you've prayed to ask Jesus into your heart 
and that's all you've ever done, and that's all there is to it. Back in um, 2002, there was a preacher by the name of Paul Washer. Paul Washer was going to a student conference. There were 5,000 students there. And he went to this conference, and he was, the, he was one of the speakers. He had been in South America doing mission work for years. And he had finally come back to the States, and they invited him because he was this missionary. He said, come on in. Come in and, and, and speak to our 5,000 students at this conference. He said, okay. He was one of the later speakers. And this is what he said happened in that conference, building up to when he came to speak. He said a band got up and they played songs that had nothing to do about Jesus and that the students there sang their hearts out. They were jumping around, going crazy. It wasn't about Jesus. And then the speaker got up there and the speaker told funny story after funny story after funny story after funny story and the students there laughed their heads off. He never told them about Jesus. But then he had them pray a, a prayer. They asked Jesus into their heart. And he said, you're good. The next day, the same band got up there and they played and there was no more focusing on Jesus than there was the day before. But that morning, a speaker got up and it was a speaker who I believe he said was in a wheelchair and got up there and he preached the gospel. Now, the day before, the students had been going crazy. They loved everything about it. The band had gotten up there, they had played, and it sounded really good, but there was never any Jesus offered there whatsoever. And when this guy got up there, and when he shared the gospel, when he actually told them about Jesus, what they did at that point was they shut down. None of the students there cared. Because they weren't interested in Jesus. They were interested in being told just ask him into your heart. Just check off that and you're good. That evening, Paul Washer got up there. And you can still go back and you can look at this sermon. And he gets up there and he makes a statement early on. He says, I I'm not here for applause. He says, there's things going on here that you don't understand. And he says, I am going to call you to repentance. I'm going to call you to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. He said, when that happens in the life of any person, when there is repentance and when there is faith, and I'm going to explain those terms in a little bit. He says, but when there is repentance and when there's faith, you start to look different. You start to sound different. You start to be different because Jesus will not leave you the same. And he goes through, and remember this is in the early 2000s, this is 2002, he says, you're not going to be like Britney Spears, you're not going to be like the world, you're going to be like Jesus Christ. And the whole crowd of students, 5,000, start applauding, clapping. 
And he looks at him and he says, I don't know why you're clapping because I'm talking about you. And for the rest of the sermon, those students are silent. What he is getting at here is that, and you see it plainly with these 18 to 34-year-olds here, you see it plainly in churches, is that we've been sold a bill of goods and people never talk about Jesus from the Bible. But they tell you, if you believe what I say right now, even though it has nothing to do with Jesus, then you're saved. And those people are what Jesus describes here are false prophets. They're ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm going to make you a commitment here tonight and always. I do love each and every one of you enough to tell you the truth. Alright? If you believe that just because you're here or that you've just been coming on Sundays or Wednesdays or because I like you and I love all of you or that this church loves you. If you think that if you think that that that's it. And I, I fear that you've missed the point. A healthy tree will bear good fruit. And what I mean by that is that when, when you give your life to Christ, when you put your trust in Him, all of a sudden, your life starts to look and sound completely different. It starts to look and sound very odd to the rest of the world. We go a little bit further, and these are maybe the most terrifying words in all of Scripture. We understand that faith in Jesus is more than just words. Jesus himself says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What he is saying there is going on in every church in America. It's going on in so many student ministries all over America. There are people sitting in there and they think, I'm good because I have prayed a prayer once, or I'm good because I know the lyrics to Amazing Grace, or I'm good because I come to church on Sunday and Wednesday, or I'm good because I went on that retreat and I was really, I had a lot of emotional, uh, a lot of emotional things that happened during that time, or I'm good because my father and my mother, they are important to the church. I'm good because my pastor likes me. I'm good because I play in the band. I'm good because I sing solos sometimes. I'm good because and fill in the blank. And they have said that their whole relationship with Christ is based upon their Lord, Lord. What they could do. What they could offer. Their whole relationship with Christ 
is based upon what they bring to the table and not about what Christ himself brings. Understand this, students, that each and every one of us is a sinner to the core of who we are. That's the curse from the garden. That we are born in iniquity. That we are born in sin. That there is no hope for our life. And even if we do look at the church in our sin and we say, you know what, I'm a good, uh, I'm a good person at this, or I'm a good person at that, or I can do this, or I can do that. And if we go and if we do it for the church, but we have never, ever, ever been brought out of our sin then we will die in our sin and we will die under the penalty of God's law and we will go to God's prison, a terrible place called hell. If we have put our faith, if we've put our trust in what we can do, if we have put our hope in those things, then we will surely, surely die and we will be told by God, as Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. R.C. Sproul, another famous preacher, has made this statement before that he believes wholeheartedly what the Scripture says. He believes totally and completely what it teaches. And, but if he has merely stopped there, he says, he says, I'm not perfect. He said, it could be that I've only ever allowed it up here in my brain. Now, I, I don't think he did. I love R.C. Sproul. I think that he was absolutely a wonderful preacher and a wonderful teacher. And I believe he showed signs of being born again repeatedly in his life. But he said, he said listen, I could, I could have gotten it wrong. I could have missed it somewhere. And he made this statement. He said, there's two kinds of people who will go to hell. Two of them. He says, the first person who goes to hell, you see demonstrated here kind that grind their teeth, the kind that are angered, the kind who look at God and say, how dare you put me here? Don't you know what I did for you? Don't you know all the things that I did? There are those kinds of people. The second category of people are those who are weepers, who cry because they realize their brokenness and they realize that they are in hell and that they never put their faith and trust in Christ. And R.C. Sproul made this statement. He said, he said, if I get it wrong and if I ever go to hell when I die, R.C. Sproul has passed. He said, if I die, if, I, if I'm one of the ones who goes to hell because I have not trusted in Jesus, he said, I, could, I can tell you this, I'll be a, a crier, is what R.C. Sproul said. And he said, but I will also know in that moment that I was not put there wrongly. If I put my faith in my works and in my words alone and not in Jesus, 
then I will have died in my sins and I will be in hell. And it will be the right decision. So I've thrown out there a whole lot of stuff. And you sit in there, okay, I'm right there with you. I understand that it's not based upon being here or what I can do, but what is it about? That leads us to Jesus' final comparison. A wise person believes the words of Jesus. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So this is what Jesus says here. In this final comparison, He makes the statement that there is a foundation, there is a hope there is a sure and trustworthy thing and it's a person that you can put your trust on that you can build everything upon you see if i build my christianity if i build my faith upon anything i have said or anything i have done then it is doomed to failure but there is a place that we can put our faith and trust on there is a foundation that if we build things on top of that it will never fail and he says here that it's a wise person built his house on the rock and everyone who hears the words of mine and does them is that wise person who builds their house upon the rock. So let me pull this out for you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses, um, verses 19 through 22 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. What is the sure foundation? What is the cornerstone? It is Jesus Christ Himself. Understand there is nothing that you can do that will ever earn your salvation. Isaiah tells us that even our righteousness, even the best thing we have to offer is like filthy rags to God. And we don't get the concept of that because of our English translations. But understand, when it talks about filthy rags, it goes into a deep place. That if I were to start describing it to you now, everyone in here would wince at the description. Every guy and girl would wince at the description. That's the best we have to offer. 
That's your Lord, Lord. That's your talents. That's your abilities. We cannot put our hope on those. We must put it on the sure foundation of Jesus Christ. And what that means is this. Is that our lives are completely surrendered to Christ. We recognize there's nothing I can do, Lord. So you've got to do it all. We surrender everything. We surrender our confidence in our ability. We say, I know I'm not enough. We surrender our confessions, our intellect, our word. We say, I know I can never learn enough about you. We surrender our trying to make ourselves look better to God. Because even the best we have to offer is a filthy rag. We surrender all those things and we look to Jesus and Jesus alone. Why do we look to Jesus? Now, this is going to bring us back to the scarlet thread. Many of the stories in the scarlet thread back in Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 15 with the Passover... They all had to do with death. They all had to do with blood. And we all saw how this bloodline points to Jesus. This scarlet thread points to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 sets it up for us like this. Now understand, all the stuff in the Passover, it points to Jesus. All the sacrifices that was going on in the Old Testament, they all point to Jesus. People who put their trust in those sacrifices died in their sins. And here's what it says. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to start reading in verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. All the sacrifices did was remind us of our sin. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ, our foundation, our cornerstone, the one who we have to surrender everything to, when Christ came into the world, He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Understand, if you have put your faith in anything else other than what Jesus Christ has done and in who He is, then if you... Count on those things, on your works, on your Lord, Lord. If you count on those things, then when you die, students, you will not die 
righteous before God, you will die in your sins and you will go to hell. I am telling you this. That tonight, the Scripture calls you, Christ calls you, to put your faith and your hope only in Him. To understand that if you think it's me plus Jesus, or Jesus plus this, Understand, if you do that, then you have completely tarnished and tainted everything He came for. Your righteousness is a filthy rag. Christ does it all. So students, I'm not going to go much longer, but I make this comment to you. I make this imploring to you. If you have not put your faith in Jesus and in Him alone, do not wait. If you are wondering, have I put my faith in Jesus plus something else? And you have those kinds of questions. Do not wait. Talk with me. Talk with Drew. Talk with Mr. Johnny. Talk with Miss Brandy. But do not let this statement from the Scripture go without you thinking about it. I love each and every one of you. I don't want any of you to have your hope in a false place. I want to see you in heaven one day. Let me pray for us. Our band is going to come up and play. You're going to have an opportunity to sing to this Jesus who we've just talked about. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love you and we do praise you and we thank you for the opportunity we have to be here. I thank you that, that God, your word does, it does impact us, it does hit us sometimes. And that, God, we, we can even wonder, well, what do we do now? Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here who is in that situation, that, Father, you would... You'd make them uncomfortable until they talk with someone about how they feel. I pray that the message tonight has been clear and it's been understood. I pray it's been received. And I pray, Father, that you would save people tonight. It's in your son's name, Jesus, we ask these things and for sake. Amen.